Glad you're with us tonight. That song about the creatures great and small, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there is a Mr. Bean episode with that song. And so I was remembering Mr. Bean, and it has to be one of my favorite little silly episodes of anything ever. It's about a church scene and uh, people not knowing the words to songs. So some of you might not have known some of the words to the song as well. Tonight, I want to make sure that you see that we have a mission survey. Today is the last day to do it. Please take this if you can. There are copies of this out on the, on the welcome desk, and you can fill it out and put it in tonight. And you can also go to the QR code that's in the bulletin from this morning and find that and do it. It'll take you five or ten minutes. So it'd be great to do that and let our missions folks know what you are thinking as they're preparing a great new wonderful strategy for the future. You know that this congregation has been involved in missions around the world for years and years. And so we want to keep doing that as well. Tonight, we are talking about Paul's sidekicks. We've been doing that for a while, not the kind that kick and do judo and karate and taekwondo and all those things, but thinking about those people who worked along with the Apostle Paul. We've probably, some of you might not have realized there have been several of those. We've, had, we've talked about Titus and we've talked about, about Barnabas and we've talked about Silas and we've talked about Timothy. And you know that missionaries are important people, so to speak, because of the work that they do are important. And you know, for example, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14 says, Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. They were two of the missionaries that worked along with the Apostle Paul. Now, you know a lot about the Apostle Paul if you go to church or if you have a car or bicycle and drive by churches because there are many churches with the name St. Paul's and, and you've heard of in England as well as in Houston. But missionaries are important. We need missionaries in order to spread the word. And there is this is such an incredible time in the history of the world that we don't have to... Ex actually go someplace to be a missionary but we can do things like world bible school and we can we can influence people that are in other countries and other parts of the globe and do great things as well as we can also go ourselves and so here you have a man luke who wrote the book luke who not only is um, is a follower of jesus but he's a doctor that goes along with the apostle paul and you have this guy demas and then in philemon chapter one I don't know if you know this, there's only one chapter, so we could put Philemon 23, 24, but then you would think it was chapter 23, verse 24. So it's Philemon chapter 1, 20, verses 23 and 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. There is something extremely important about team missions as well. And not just being a, a, a lone wolf out there on the field because you can easily get eaten up that way. And so here is an example of a team going and doing mission work. You have the Paul that we often think of, but then he talks about Epaphras and John Mark and Aristarchus and Luke and Demas. And these men who are all missionaries and doing incredible work and telling people about Jesus in difficult places where people had never heard about Jesus. It's hard enough to go to places where they do know about him. But now they would go and they would introduce Jesus and they would introduce the idea that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. And sometimes whenever they would talk, as we know in the book of Acts, when they would say Jesus was resurrected from the grave, they would think that the concept of resurrection was a goddess itself. And so it was hard work what they were doing. 
It was difficult as they would go and they'd put their faith on the line, but it must have been so exciting as they would see people come to Jesus in faith and be baptized. And they would see people who had not been Christians all at once be Christians. And they would see people who had never even heard of a church all at once become the leaders of a local congregation. Must have been exciting and enthralling to think about what their lives were like. I have a little bit of a peek into this, like some of you do as well, that Barbara and I had the opportunity for seven years to be missionaries in a foreign country. And oh, how exciting to go down to the water's edge, to the, to, the, to the ocean, like we would go and baptize people, and how exciting and the thrill in all of that. that you, there's no high that is higher than something like that. And now to leave an established congregation and just to see pictures today of a church potluck that they had this afternoon. So much excitement. You give so much of your life to those people and to that culture. And now you have men like Paul and Luke and Aristarchus and Mark and Demas and these others that have done that. And Demas fizzled out. He fizzled out. A missionary fizzled out. A preacher fizzled out. We know that because Paul talks about it in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 9 and the beginning of verse 10 when he writes to Timothy and says, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, he talks about some others who had left, but it appears they had just left for other reasons. But now you get to Demas here, and he says that Demas, because he loved this world, you know what pulls all of us away from Jesus? It's the love of this world. We, we decide that we love the world more than we love Jesus. What Jesus is doing is calling people out of the world. But because we love what the world offers, we'll take what the world offers instead of what Jesus offers. And what a lot of us do in this culture, in this free country, the way it is, what we do is we'll try to have a foot in both places. But Jesus says either you're for me or you're, you're against me. You can't be in both places if you're in the world then you're just in the world and demas fizzles out it's kind of hard to believe that it could happen but it does happen and obviously it hurts god think about what the bible says in first john chapter 2 verses 15 through 17 where john said do not love the world or anything in the world if anyone loves the world love for the father is not in them for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God, well, they live forever. It hurts God when people walk away from him, just like it hurts you when people walk away from you. And it's all this love for the world. I love the world. I love the sin. I love this temptation more than I love you. And people do that with God every single day. And some of them are even church leaders. It happens. And it's awful. And it's sickening. But it goes on. So how could a leader lose their faith? It seems like it would be crazy that a leader could lose their faith. But I know they do because I've known leaders who have walked away from everything. It was always a story in my family that my parents were 
converted to, to Jesus whenever they were whenever I was a baby and my dad I guess was about 40 my mo- or 41 my mother was like 38 and I'm a baby and and a man studied with them that stayed faithful to God all of his life until he passed away but the preacher who actually did the baptizing he left town with his secretary and walked away from everything that he had proclaimed it happens How could it happen? If you were to find out tomorrow that I had walked away from my faith, some of you would say, I figured he was going to do that. I hope you wouldn't say that. But if you heard that, it would be devastating because you hear me speak every week, not because it's me, but because you hear me speak every week. How could that happen? I can remember an elder that I knew did that very thing. Well, there are different ways. Leaders are humans too, and leaders have struggles as well. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, this is what the Bible says to do. The apostle Paul himself, who knew about people like Demas, said, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers, not of this world, but of the dark of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. To stand. But sometimes we can get so involved, even leaders can get so involved in doing church work that they're not doing God's work. They can get so involved in teaching classes and making sure that there's water in the baptistry and that the building's unlocked and that the the plants have all been manicured and the lawn's mowed and people have been visited in the hospital and this and that and this and that, that they're no longer really working for God. They're just fulfilling some kind of role. And they lose their faith because they're not taking care of their faith They're just living this life that anybody could be living. I think of a man I knew that could give wonderful speeches about God that didn't believe in God. But he knew the Bible. He could also give wonderful speeches about history and wonderful speeches about English. But there was nothing behind the lessons that he taught about God. They're just frivolous words. The full armor of God wasn't on. Forgetting who the enemy was, was was part of the issue. And so instead of following Jesus and what Jesus wants, they're just living a life and only wearing part of the armor of God, if any of it. So how can I be faithful? Because some of you are church leaders and some of you aren't, but you're saying, I want to be faithful to God. I don't want to be like Demas. I want to follow Jesus. What can I do? Well, part of that is in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 23 through 27 where the writer says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Keep your your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. He's saying keep doing what's right 
Don't go away. Keep doing what's right. Don't give up. Probably all of us know people that have, if we have gone to church for years, we know people that used to sit in the pew in front of us or behind us or beside us, that it wasn't that they died or got transferred. It was just that they just quit their faith at some point. They just walked away from it, and sometimes they give an answer, and sometimes they don't. The best answer I ever heard was, I'm just flat too lazy to get out of bed anymore. I appreciated that answer because it was an honest answer. Now, I wish there would have been a different outcome, and I could tell you how great it was that they were back and restored to Jesus, but they're not. So how do I stay faithful? I guard my heart. I don't let things in. I make sure that my mouth is free from perversity. I keep corrupt talk away from me. I keep my eyes looking straight ahead. I fix my gaze directly before me on Jesus. If you remember in Hebrews 12, I look at Jesus. I give careful thought to what I do, where I go, and how I spend my time and how I spend my money. And I stay faithful to him. And you're saying, okay, well, those are good preacher words, but then how do you do that? So this is the quick yes, but how? And so some of these are things, if we were to go around the room and take the microphone, what should we do? Well, some of you would say these things, and they're all true. Study, yes, study the Bible is going to be one of them, without a doubt. You need, we all need to study the Bible, right? And so we have Bible studies. You know how many Bible studies are offered in this congregation? I mean, there are studies on Sunday morning, and there are studies on Wednesday night, and there are women's studies during the week in the morning, and and uh, at least two women's Bible studies. There are these things they call fire teams for men, and they study the Bible. And then there are other men's groups, and there are men's mentoring groups, and there are men's fathering groups. And there are all these groups that you study the Bible and you find the practical side to it. And then there are just people who get together during the week and study the Bible together. Nothing official. They just get together and study. I mean, there are so many ways to study the Bible. Besides just studying the Bible on our own. And so study is part of it, but you have to take advantage of part of that study. And if you don't take advantage of that study, it's just something that they offer and it's something I don't do. So study is part of it. And then there's worship. There's worship. I mean, if you can't go at 1030, you can go at 820. Or if you can't go at 820, you can go at 1030, right? Every Sunday morning. And then we have 6 o'clock, right? And then we have other times. And, and you can even worship on your own. But worship is part of it. One of the most beautiful parts of worship and purposes of worship is to realize that there is, there is a being that is greater than we are, and it's God. And so one of the, you know, sometimes the way people say it and the way they act is, I have to go to church. And if I'm one of those people that has to go to church, there is a good chance that soon I will not be going to church. But if I understand that what I'm going to do is go and get the focus off myself and put the focus on something that is greater and bigger than I am, who gives me every single blessing I have, and that is the creator of the universe, then I'll probably be around for a long time. And I might even bring people with me that see that fellowship another kind of church word isn't it the way we ought to define that is hanging out with good people just hang out with good people good christian people that's part of it yeah as the bible says evil companions corrupt good morals right many good well-intended people they end up in the wrong place 
And obviously at the same time, we need to be around folks who don't know Jesus, but our purpose to be there is so that they do know Jesus, not so that we're all just equals or not just so, or just all see things the same, but it's so that we can help people to come to know Jesus. And so fellowship is part of it. If all you do is walk into the building and walk out of the building and you don't have relationships during the week, there is also a good chance that you'll just say, forget that after a while. But the fellowship is part of what keeps us going. It's service. Once again, getting beyond myself and serving, and there are a gazillion ways to serve God. There are ways that you can serve God on your own, but then there are so many ministries that are created and ministries that 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 we have here that we want people to be involved in for people of every kind of level or desire or dream. I've been in a meeting all afternoon where deacons and ministry staff and elders were talking about so many of those ministries that people are involved in and how to do those things. That's all part of it. Now I want to give you a few things very quickly that maybe aren't on this list that we would always put up there, although all these things are important. One of those things is to reflect. The problem that the preacher gets into, and this is any time I go to a seminar that talks about preachers and ministry, it's about don't just be reading the Bible to write a sermon. But sometimes that's kind of hard not to do because, I mean, I'm not complaining. It's what I do. I'm writing at least three, three lessons a week. And so when you're writing three lessons a week, you're spending a whole lot of time getting ready for a lesson. You understand what I'm saying? Because there's always another lesson. And so then if I go somewhere, I'm writing four lessons a week. And I'm not complaining about that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it is a temptation that happens to preachers that they never just study the Bible to be studying the Bible like you might get up in the middle of the night and say, hey, I want to read the Bible. And so you have to be very intentional about saying I want to study the Bible just for the pure reason of studying it, not because I have a sermon series coming up that starts next Oh, in 15 minutes. That doesn't happen quite like that. It's reflect. Reflect. Read it and then think about it. Read it and spend time on it. Read it and then think about how this works into our culture, into our society, and reflect on what God wants and what, how God is working. Another is rest. You know, what we want more than anything that we talk about all the time are volunteers and the importance of volunteers to fill our ministries and all the volunteers we have. But one thing that always scares me is when someone is in like a gazillion ministries. Because you know what often happens when you're in a gazillion ministries? You will soon not be in any ministries because you'll tire out. And so rest is a part of it. There is a reason that God from the very beginning gave the example of rest in Genesis, with the Sabbath. That idea of stopping and relaxing. Not that we are doing bad things while we rest, but instead that rest is a part of building our bodies and our minds and our spirits back up so that we can be effective servants. But sometimes that's really hard to do. So you know I'm a baseball fan, so I've got to give you an illustration here. <coughs> Excuse me. With your hometown heroes, the Astros, with Jose Altuve, most people's favorite player in Houston. But every once in a while, the manager, Dusty Baker, gives him a day off. And you know what happens for the fans that go to the stadium on the days that he's off? Everybody's disappointed. 
Why did you? Why didn't you play Jose Altuve? Because the fans want to see Jose Altuve. Well, some days we all have to rest so that we will be more effective. Some days, Christians in our ministries, we have to rest so that other people have to take over for a while, but that so that all of us are effective. Now, here's another one. The last one. There's no more room on the slide, so you know it's the last one. Remember the enemy. Sometimes the enemy starts acting like he's no longer the enemy. You remember what it says back there in Ephesians that our enemy, our war, is not against flesh and blood. So you think about what it was like for uh, Eve back in the Garden of Eden, and Adam came along too, but Eve, she's there, and all at once the serpent, the devil, kind of just saddles up beside her there. Hey, did God really say you can't eat any of the fruit in the garden? No, he didn't say that. He said, we can eat anything we want except that one tree. You see what happens in the conversation? She is forgetting who the enemy is. She is forgetting that he is the enemy, and sometimes we do the same thing. Sometimes we forget, and we get comfortable in the world. We get comfortable with whatever it is, maybe what's ever on television or whatever's in movies or whatever's in books or whatever the conversation is at work or, or whatever it is, and we get so comfortable with the enemy before we know it. The enemy has tempted us, and we have fallen for the temptation, and we have fallen into sin. So the way we stay strong and don't become like Demas is we remember who the enemy is, and we don't give in to the enemy. We stay strong. We recognize him for who he is, and we don't get close to him. We keep that old serpent way over there. So this is my question for us tonight. How close am I to being another Demas? How close am I? I would like to think that nobody's very close at all. But I also know that there are secret struggles that go on in our heads. And that sometimes folks are struggling and we don't know it. And sometimes they want to share that publicly and sometimes they want to do that privately. And we want to help you either way with that. You know, I think about people that I've known that I didn't know that that was the last service they were ever going to be at. I didn't know. I didn't know because they were dying. I didn't know because they were divorcing. I didn't know because they were going to go somewhere else. I didn't know because they were just going to stay home from now on. I didn't know. How close am I to being another Demas? And what I pray is, is that we will be people who study and people who fellowship and people who serve and people who pray and people who reflect and people who rest and people who recognize the enemy for what he is and we lean on God and put God first in everything we do. If you need to be baptized tonight, what a wonderful thing. Wade got to baptize his granddaughter this morning. That was beautiful and wonderful at second service. If you need to be baptized tonight, 
If you need prayers, you can come forward. You can write to us at elders at mcoc.org, and they will be praying for you. Whatever it is, come as we stand and sing.